Hello, listeners, and welcome to episode 279 of the Spoiler Alert podcast. This is Mike. I'm here with Danny. Tonight, we're once again joined by friend of the pod, Ellen, and we're going to be discussing the new Best Picture nominee, 1917. Danny, Ellen, how are you doing tonight? Doing great. Fantastic. Excellent. Good to have you back again, Ellen. It's been at yeah, least thanks a few for episodes. Us. Thanks for thanks for coming back on. We didn't thanks scare you away happening. last time. Good. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> right. Well, it has been a few episodes, uh, or a couple weeks, I guess, since we've done an episode. Life has caught up with us and uh, the holidays and, and getting through them. So our super timely episode of Star Wars Episode Nine: Rise of Skywalker was published a good month after it was released. <laughs> a little. Uh, it was so even in theaters once it once it went live. I don't know. We're we're getting back on the horse, so <sighs> we're gonna get this one out. Yes, this, this, we're going to push this one before the Oscars. Yeah, absolutely. We've uh, we reviewed several of the Best Picture nominees already this year, which is nice. Uh, as luck would have it, yes. As, as luck would have it, a, a handful we haven't. I don't. I think in the past, gosh, in the past five years, Danny, I think we've gotten all of the Best Picture nominees reviewed prior to the Oscars, but we haven't done Little Women, we haven't done Jojo Rabbit, and we haven't done Ford v Ferrari. So or I, marriage I'm, story. Or marriage story. So I'm, I'm worried that we're not going to get there. Or 1917. Right. Now, or any of the others. Now, we passed on marriage story just okay. strictly based on Adam Driver and his hideous appearance. His, his, <laughs> his ghoulishness. Right. His like, just general. His, there's something wrong work with Work a day that man. ghoulishness. Yes, right, yeah. Right. Yeah. Yes. But, this feels like a personal attack. <laughs> on Adam Driver, it is. <laughs> it is on Adam Driver. This I don't is, know. I've gone uh, on record about how much I love Adam Driver, and I think you both know this. <laughs> but, but why? <laughs> let's, oh. let's, yeah, I mean, let's, like you're on record as being pro Adam Driver, which is a stance one could take. <laughs> but you haven't supported or substantiated why on earth you would have right. that view. Right, right. Do we want to allocate minutes to this, or should we just get right? In, I'm fine either I mean, way. I'll make it quick. But he's well. First of all, he's a really great actor, which I think. Most people can agree. Yeah. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> I mean, he's, okay. he's, he's, he's right up there with Greta Gerwig, but that's fine. Oh, All right, okay. He's an, a- he's an actor. Go on. He's, he's, sure. <laughs> he's got credits to his name. We agree that he's professional. He does right. this for a living. <laughs> and he's incredibly attractive, but you guys don't agree and that's fine. Uh, it's fine. We can move on. All right. We're, and, and, we don't on, agree. <laughs> and on we will move because we got to get into the nominees on. anyway. Yes. Yes. So let's. Let's continue on with, uh, uh, with another our discussion. super a timely discussion given the Academy Award nominations came out about three weeks ago, <laughs> um, and by the time this gets published, we may or may not have already seen the Academy Awards and know Correct. who the winners are. Right. But let's talk about the let's state about of the, the nomination slate. Ellen, what was your your reaction when you saw the nominations once they were announced? Um, uh, quite frustrated, I'd say. There were a couple nominee- nominees that I was happy to see, uh, in particular uh, Florence Pugh for Best Supporting Actress in Little okay. Women. Um, I was happy to see uh, Jojo Rabbit get a handful of nominations. Um, but like overall, just not really into the fact that Joker is the movie that has the most nominations. It was an interesting 11. morning, right? Like that was that was a yeah. surprise. Eleven's a lot of nominations. This is like Titanic territory. Exactly, and like that's just 
that makes me like want to roll my eyes so badly because like it's just so cringe that like one joker made it this far and i get like joaquin phoenix is great in it Mm -hmm. and that's about all i have to say that's good about it like yeah but but once you get away from so it joaquin phoenix was sort of an obvious nomination and then you know, director and picture were certainly, I guess, in the cards and had been well telegraphed and given the reception. But it's not like, it, you know, no one else was nominated from an acting standpoint. It's not like it took away nominations for other above the line, you know, it's not like Florence Pugh didn't get nominated because Zazie Beats got nominated for right. for Joker. Well, yeah, but like the fact that it gets all these technical nominations that may or may not be deserved that could go to other movies that I think did way more interesting things and sheds light on filmmakers that are, I think way better than Todd Phillips and like that are doing like creative original movies and not just rehashing old Martin Scorsese scripts. But what filmmakers, like what filmmakers didn't get nominated for best sound editing that you think, really got shut out because Joker got nominated for Best Sound Editing. I'd say Uncut Gems. That one had the better sound. Well, I'd say, like, it w- they did a lot. I mean, like, they put a lot into the dialogue is all on top of each other. They have, like, all the sounds of New York going on. Like, I don't know. They put they put a lot of effort into making the chaos and the high anxiety feel, and it also was included in, like, how they edited the sound. I mean, it was purposefully kind of all these sounds layered on top of each other and the, just the whole way that they directed that movie, I feel like they really got shafted on a lot of nominations. I mean, I also enjoyed it quite a bit, but like I'm, I'm scrolling down the list and looking at what Joker's nominated for, it is tough for me to think like, well, what would I, what would I have not agreed with? Like, I mean, adapted screenplay is obviously an above the line nomination. If you're looking at text, like sound mixing and sound editing, it got both. I I don't know that I could argue with that. Um, uh, costume design, hair and makeup, original score. Like, I feel like all of these are justified. I don't think, I don't know. If hair and makeup wins, will Joaquin go on stage? Because there is a scene of him putting his own makeup on. Probably will not go on stage. Right, I'm I don't, just saying. I, <laughs> and the he's fact, not the actual nominee there. They do name the people obviously. from the makeup I'm just, crew. I'm just making a goof, but like it's you know. I feel like the movie was really good. Like Danny and I both liked it when we reviewed it. it I mean, I liked it. I just I felt like I mean, we don't have to make this all about Joker because there's much more to say. And I, I just I feel like a lot of there was misdirection throughout with like. I don't know. A lot of the movie was like, do you get it? You get it, right? Like, you get it? Society and mental illness? Like, it's just so heavy-handed and just a little too... I don't... I, it's it's hard to put into words, like, just how much I felt there was so many cringe moments of, like, zooming in on, like, the words mental illness and then, like, having really, really cringy dialogue and then the fact that his performance is so great and that just kind of made everyone kind of turn an eye on like what I thought was okay directing. Okay. All okay, right. F- f- fair enough. Parasite, you had called when we discussed your favorite movie of the year, you thought was a perfect movie and predicted would be nominated for best picture was nominated for best picture, best director as well. So well called on that. 
Uh, Danny and I also reviewed Once Upon, Once Upon a Time in Hollywood, which we both struggled with a little bit. Mm-hmm. That there, it was a long movie where little happens, and like, I, I mean, say what you want about Quentin Tarantino, I, I, I think he's fantastic, and I mean, obviously changed the film industry for the better in the mid '90s. This to me was mm-hmm. my least favorite of of what he's put out there. Yeah, I wasn't totally in love with Once Upon a Time in Hollywood. I mean, it's still made my top 10 of the year list, but I mean, with the point about Tarantino, and I think also can be said for Martin Scorsese in The Irishman, these obviously aren't like their best films, and they're they're good. They're very, very good, but I think the fact that they always get a seat at the table because of who they are and because of their track record, that's what shuts out people from gaining a track record and gaining a seat at the table. Like, female directors and directors of color and like up and comers who like that's two less opportunities for them to become established like Tarantino and Scorsese. Okay. Because they automatically get to be nominated because of who they are. That's just my opinion. <laughs> so, so I, I, I'm guessing that what is not stated in that is that you feel that Greta Gerwig deserved a nomination for little women. Yep. Okay. Danny, how do you feel about that? Well, I would just, I, I, what other filmmakers, who else didn't make the cut? Uh, again, the Safdie brothers. I thought they did a fantastic job doing something different and new and fun. Um, Lulu Wang for The Farewell. Um, there's like there's a handful of other female directors that did really great things this year that nobody really seemed to, you know. Who? The, uh, who? What's her name? Um, the director who uh, directed um, the Mr. Rogers movie. I forget her name. Mary... Uh, and I, then also, I, I, I didn't see that one either. It was and then, okay. Like I know, I know it's a hot opinion, and not many people agree. But Hustlers, I thought that was super well directed. I, I guess to Danny's point, like, what? Who would? Who should Greta Gerwig have replaced on the best director list? Who? Who was nominated? Todd Phillips. You think Todd Phillips be, for Joker? Yeah. Because he's B list. Okay. But, but, but again, like this movie was nominated for 10 other Oscars besides best directors. So like, I don't understand how you cross him off the list. I don't understand how you say. I mean, like, right. But it's, it's opinion, right? But also like one has to take into account just how political these things are. Okay. Like Hollywood, obviously he has, we all know he has friends in high places and that's fine. And the voting body of the Academy is, I mean, is predominantly elderly white men who will vote for people that they like. And it's been shown time and time again. I mean, it feels like forever ago that Moonlight won. And we all thought that that was like a step in some kind of like progressive direction. But I mean, and like it's, I mean, not to rehash last year, but I feel like it was so indicative of the, state of things that green book would win when black Klansmen and if bill street could talk were right there yeah okay while we look through the list here before we get into 1917 anything else that sticks out at you that you're particularly excited about or particularly upset about like as far as the best picture list none of them surprised me much except for joker mm-hmm. which is now the 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 highest nominated movie of the the group. Anything else that was uh, stand out to you? 
Um, uh, I think probably the other two things that always stuck out with me was the lack of Adam Sandler getting a um, Best Actor nomination. Sure. Okay. Um, I admittedly haven't seen two popes, but I'd be willing to bet that like Jonathan Price's performance isn't going to wow we wow me as much as Adam Sandler did. Okay. Um, and yeah, the lack of J Lo for okay. supporting actress. Okay. I was a little surprised with Laura Dern getting the nomination for Marriage Story. That was a weird one to me. She wasn't in there a ton and she's so Laura Dernish all the time. Like she wasn't Yeah. I see that argument, and I, I understand, but, I, I mean, I thought she was great, but... Okay, yeah. Danny, how about you? Anything anything else uh, that you that, that stood out to you as, as either a particular snub or something that you were really excited about? Um, no, I mean, I, I guess I didn't think there was anything really surprising about the nominees. Just whether you're looking at... The box office results, the critical sort of mass that these things had coming into it, some of the other award winners, like we'd already had the Golden Globes before the nominations came out. Right. I just felt like this is sort of the the crop that I was expecting. I I feel like we're in this weird spot in time where I mean, and the the, the BAFTAs, the British Academy Awards, actually their nominations came out after the the Oscars, and they as they were announcing them, basically apologized that there wasn't enough representation in the the nominations. It was right. like, Hey, here are our nominees. We're so sorry. Yeah. And it's just like, well, <laughs> then either don't nominate those <laughs> right, people right. or like, and, and while I, I do agree, it would be great to see more filmmakers of color and more female filmmakers and more avant-garde filmmakers. I feel like the, the Academy has almost never done a good job recognizing avant-garde or really adventurous, different, uh, filmmakers. I mean, other it's just, that's like, just not other than like Midnight Cowboy. Like that, that was right. Like, the last the, time, like maybe right? in the seventies, everybody <laughs> things were happening that that truly were um, like a real shift, and then they just sort of went back to this real comfortable snoozy place through the eighties and, yeah. and early nineties. Um, but I feel like isn't the problem that like further upstream, like that more f- female filmmakers and filmmakers of color and and adventurous. I, filmmakers just aren't getting the opportunity to either get films made at all yeah. or to get them seen on a large enough scale to get the sort of critical attention that would build a campaign. I mean, all of all of these nominations are the end result of obviously first a film being financed and greenlit and filmed and then it has to be supported and bankrolled and there are legit like political campaigns where you know the the filmmakers and the stars are are doing screenings and they're doing glad handing and they're they're out promoting their film and they're they're working the, the rooms and the studios put their money behind the the films they think that can get that kind of critical mass and it just if the other films aren't getting made and they're not getting seen and they're not getting supported I feel like that's that's where the problem starts by the time it's like we're time to put the nominations out it's sort of like. The fact that we can count on one hand, like, well, maybe this one person should have been nominated or one other is a shame, but it's also like, well, how about the 500 talented people that didn't even get to make their film? I think that's probably where the problem starts. But by the time the nominations come out, it's like, yeah, those are the nominees. I mean, I I, I didn't see anything that really totally surprised me one way or the other. Like, I would have had a really tough time if Joker had been nominated for 10 10- Academy Awards and 
Todd Phillips wasn't. Like that that would have seemed really weird well, to me. Like, yeah. like that that would have been odd. Like even Argo won Best Picture minus yeah. Ben Affleck being nominated. But that like even that was only nominated for like four or five awards or or something. Like so But he like, won it, the DGA. But he won the DGA, right? Like so Yeah, it's weird. Like, I mean Ellen, I think your point is valid, but to what Danny's saying, like I feel like it's not that the nominations are the problem. It's that there's a problem where female filmmakers and people of color are not getting the roles. They're not getting large. They're not getting studios. the opportunities that they need. And there are lots of indie movies being made by women right now. Yeah, but not a ton of sure. huge studios or large budget movies or ones that a studio wants to put forward. Yeah, um, which is too bad. Agreed. Well, let's talk about one of the nominees that now we've all seen. I saw it yesterday. Danny, you saw it today? Yes. We, we've we struggled to get into the movie theater for a while. Ellen, you saw this like two weeks ago, right? 1917? I saw it, yeah, I saw it opening weekend. Okay. I don't know, I guess this one was a little bit of a surprise to me just because I didn't know much about it and the trailer looked awesome uh, when I was in the theater, but didn't really know much about what was happening with this movie. And so why don't you hit us up with a quick... Plot recap of 1917, the World War One new war movie. Okay, so uh, 1917 is a World War One epic, if you will, directed by Sam Mendes and shot by the greatest of all time, Roger Deakins, to be a somewhat one-shot take style. Right. And it succeeds very well at that. Um, so it's set... April of 1917 um, on the Western Front in France and they were with a British battalion who gets word that the German forces have retreated and they have essentially set a trap for another advancing British force who due to cut phone lines is not getting the information that a trap is set for them. So two young corporals um, Corporal Schofield and Corporal Blake are sent with a message and a task to make it to the other uh, British battalion to send a message, letting them know that they are walking into a trap with their next attack. Um, From there, the two corporals kind of go on a quite the mission. They cross no man's land um, to find that the German front is completely abandoned they go into the underground tunnels to find that they're completely empty and then eventually find that they are booby-trapped and are almost killed right away with an explosion. Um, Corporal Blake saves Corporal Schofield's life. They get out on the other side and they continue on their way across the countryside uh, where they witness a plane crash into a farmhouse where they had stopped to take uh, rest for a moment. Um getting into more spoilers here they um the german fighter on the plane comes uh gets out they try to help him and then he stabs corporal blake and he dies and corporal schofield is now alone in this mission and he kind of goes from one point to another linking up with uh some british army uh british battalion that is on trucks and then they reach a downed uh bridge and he gets off and tries to cross it, cross it himself and then gets attacked by snipers and then takes a fall and injures his head wakes up later in the night 
takes refuge underground and finds a French woman and her baby, and he gives them whatever food and drink that he has and continues on through the night, um, is continuing to be attacked by snipers, jumps into a river to escape them, falls down a waterfall, and then comes out the next morning to finally find the British battalion that he has been searching for, is unable to deliver the message because of the very crowded and very long trenches so he runs out into the fire as the first attack happens and sprints across the um i guess where they're shooting and then finally makes it to the commander um i think general mckenzie and delivers his message and that's 1917 (laughs) all right also, uh, just for trivia purposes, the only Best Picture nominee that is numerals and no words. I didn't realize oh. that. Yeah, yeah. First time. Oh. First time ever. Zing. His, right. Ellen, what did you think of it? I loved it. I Excellent. really did. I thought it was probably one of the, one of the best theater experiences I've ever had. Um, Mm. just the way it was shot and the sound and the, just the full, like visual experience was so great. Um, but also I'd say the performances, some were very tiny yet powerful. Mm -hmm. And that of George McKay who played, uh, Corporal Schofield was just amazing. Just, I went on a full roller coaster ride with this movie and I, I loved, I loved all of it. Excellent. Danny, how about you? Yeah, I think it's uh, really a tremendously powerful film and just incredible technical filmmaking. Uh, The the cinematography is amazing, but everything that went into that from lighting the shots to choreographing the shots to editing the whole thing, I just – it's staggering, I think, Um, as well as the production design, the costume design, the makeup. I mean it's just an awful hellscape that – that these two guys are trying to cross and get through. And it was really kind of a marvel. I thought really, really well done. Yeah, I, I agree. Yeah. I, I loved it as well. I, I think that it was uh, like to Ellen's point, I, one of the better cinema experiences I've had this year, I saw it on IMAX last night and it looked great. It was sort of like Dunkirk meets saving private Ryan in a way, like it, both world war two movies, but like the constant tension of Dunkirk that you have, but like the sort of the familial storyline of Saving Private Ryan that I think kind of tugs at the heartstrings. I really loved it. I think this is, you know, I I remember Dunkirk a a few years ago being touted as one of the greatest war movies ever filmed. And at the end of this, I thought I I would put this right up there with it. I, I I was really impressed with it. Yeah, for me, the only thing that I didn't enjoy, which is I feel strange saying, is I didn't really like all the little cameos of the great British actors, all of whom I love. Yeah, right. But it really felt like every time these two actors would turn and like they'd meet someone new, it was Colin Firth or Benedict Cumberbatch or Mark Strong or is like kind of shoehorn those guys in there. Yeah, I kind of wish that those roles were played by lesser-known actors because it was jarring. It was like, ooh, which famous British movie star are we about to see? Ooh, oh, it's Benedict Cumberbatch. How juicy. Um, And it just kind of pulled me out of what was a really powerful story the entire rest of the movie. 
And it felt like this one little nod to movie dumb Hollywood. I don't know what, I don't know how to describe it. I just, it, that was kind of jarring for me. Everything you, else I thought you, rang you true and was awesome. You didn't need actors of that caliber to play these cameo roles either. Like, I, I think it was almost meant to be jarring, which was sort of silly. Like you've got this, this fantastically well-crafted film that is proceeding along so perfectly. And then you interrupt it with, a big name actor that was unnecessary. Right. Ellen, how did you take that? Did you, did that bother you? Did you not care? Did you just love seeing those actors? Cause they're all great actors. Yeah. It didn't bother me. I, I liked seeing them. Uh, in particular, uh, I thought Andrew Scott was well cast as, um, the, I don't know the name, but the, the, the captain he comes across in the trenches, mm-hmm. who's very much kind of worse for the wear, like with everything. Um, loved seeing Richard Madden, as uh, Corporal Blake's older brother at the end. I mean, he's only on screen for like a minute or two, but I thought it was fairly powerful. Um, I didn't mind it. What did you think of Adam Driver as that hideous corpse laying in the the water (laughs) that they had to like fish out at that one point? (laughs) He was one of the floaters. It's he was filming that scene from episode nine when they're fighting on the the down Death Star. Right, right. He just took off his soiled tunic, <laughs> and just floated on by. So gross, oily. Uh, <laughs> um, buddy, I love the music in this movie too. Like it, it's, that's shocking that you would love it and that you would notice and that you would comment on that. I never do that. I know. I know uh, it's shocking. <laughs> the music was was well done. I think that it. I think that it was it was well suited for this film. I looked up the the uh, composer. I don't know who that was. The, it's not a name I recognized. I don't think. Was I it? was really I was really taken by the moments where there was lack of sound. In particular, when he's like coming out of the river, and you barely hear that one guy singing, and he gets you know it's just yeah. it's such a quiet moment. And that, and when they're when they're down in like the tunnels too. I was really taken by like the total silence and just the natural light and like the light of the torch and all that stuff. I was... What I really liked about this as a war movie too was I feel like sometimes they get like obviously war is hell. I'm not I'm not going to try and dismiss that, but I think that sometimes when you make a war film you can kind of make it a little bit overblown and that scene where the the two guys the, the one guy can't see like he's been he's yeah. been injured in the and and he has to like jump across a, like just a little ravine to get to his friend who's trying to help him to safety it was such a minor thing like like he barely had to move right like it was like it was like jumping across like a step or something like that but if you're blinded and that's what's going on like that's that's terrifying. That that would be hell, and they're both in hell. And I feel like they they didn't overdo the war moments of the film. Like I feel like it was very quiet. Even the scene where the plane crashes and the German is stabbing, you know, which which ultimately ends in the guy's death. Like it, it's almost like barely happening, right? Like he stabs him once or twice, and then he gets shot twice, and it, it happened very quickly. All of it was just war as hell, but it was sort of understated to a way that I could really appreciate and still be utterly terrified watching. 
yeah, pulling it down to like the micro level of it being on an individual, like those small things add up to being a terrifying experience just as much as like the huge battles with the sweeping hundreds and hundreds of people. But this made it more accessible to the, I think the audience on like a one-on-one level. Yeah. I mean, it's a little things like when he falls into the trench and he like had, ju- well, when he cuts his hand on the barbed wire and then almost immediately accidentally sticks it into a corpse. Like, yeah. yeah. Oh, like my whole body just like a maggoty corpse and his yeah. open wound. Yeah. And it's like, oh. Yeah. It's a it was little Adam things driver. like that. Yeah. 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 We don't, I don't want to fight. (laughs) What's up with how shockingly cavalier Mark Strong and his whole group seemed? He, he explained his mission and how vital it was. And there's 1600 men are about to go get murdered unless, and they're like six miles up the road and they're like, well, good luck. How about let's give you some more backup. Let's give you right. a couple of guys right. to go with you. This seems pretty freaking important. We even have trucks. I mean, we could get you six miles in a, in a couple of minutes. And so it's like, Meh. I, I was just kind of stunned with this should be a bigger deal. I, it was, seemed a little odd for them to not offer help. Do you think that speaks to how like numb at that point so many men were to everything? I think it speaks to the filmmakers really wanted to keep Schofield on his own. It created sure. a lot more drama, but it just but they needed to give him that respite and move the story along a little bit. I, anyway, I I just was sort of surprised by that. What what's up with needing to convince a group of guys to like help push a truck out of the mud? Like what? Why? Why are you arguing with this? Like, there's there's twelve of you. All you need to do is sort of lean against the truck, and it's going to get out of the mud. And they were all kind of like pissy about it. Like, well, there, there's <laughs> they like were four, in no rush, right? There's fourteen trucks here. They're all proceeding. This one got stuck. How about we help get it out? In fact, why aren't the other guys in the other trucks jumping out to help it? Like, isn't this what you do? Like. You see somebody stuck on the side of the road, you help them get out of the snowbank. Like, I, I don't get why this is a why this is a thing. Yeah. What's up with uh, every time they they go anywhere, Blake is like, is there any food? Did you see food? Do you think there's food? Is there anything to eat? And then w- when he gets to the basement, Schofield takes his backpack off and it's full of food. <laughs> I mean, I felt like that was like a straight up dumb and dumber moment when Jim Carrey <laughs> takes off his extra gloves. And he's like, like, yeah, it's the Rockies. You know, like, like, yeah, well, of course I have a bag full of food. It's war and we're on a mission. I brought food. Three but his amigos. buddy's like starving. He, like, with Chevy Chase Chevy just Chase. downing yeah. a canteen of water. <laughs> Sp- spits them out. <laughs> Lip balm? Right. What do you think the dead prosthetic animal budget was for this film? Oh, Lots boy. of horses, some dogs. I mean, it, rats, it, I felt like there was rats. A, yeah, yep, yep. Yeah. Well, that also was, some CGI rats. Yes. Oh, they were? They were uh, CGI rats? They were like half... Uh, the scenes under... Yeah, when they were in that tunnel was like half CGI, half real. So like oh, when okay. it falls onto the... Onto the, you know, the wire. I think that okay. was CGI. All right. Um, but yeah. Yeah, lots of dead horses. But, well, I mean, it, but it cost... I don't know. World War One. I don't know about you guys, but that's probably I know the least about as far as like history and wars that the U.S. has been involved in. And it kind of I kind of was struck 
watching it, I was like, you know, look, the only thing I really remember about learning about World War One is trench foot. <laughs> and yeah, there. Yeah. And I was like, they really put a lot of detail and time in those trenches. And I was like, that's right. It was a lot of just them sitting in trenches and waiting. Yeah. 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 Ellen, are you ready for five questions? I guess. We've got, I we've got so. five listener-submitted questions for the movie 1917, which is the first Oscar-nominated movie to only have a numeric title. Ellen, what's the first Oscar-nominated movie to have only a numeric title? Nineteen. Just kidding. That was not one of the questions. Danny, you start. <laughs> Question number one. Ellen, why don't any talented female filmmakers or filmmakers of color want to make Oscar-nominated films? That's a great question, <laughs> listeners. Thank why you. Are they, yes. Why are they year after year after year after year just choosing to make small, lesser-seen <laughs> movies? small i don't know why they don't want to get nominated it just seems strange your thoughts Um, i think they at this point don't care about getting nominated because they recognize that the academy is full of people who don't care about them so it's not for you it's not for me either okay uh all right uh, (laughs) next question what i don't know what the hell were the two main characters first names Tom and Will. And Will, yeah. Question number three. Ellen, do you feel it's disrespectful when people eat candy and concessions in a war movie? Hmm. Like you're sitting there, mm. someone's munching popcorn or nachos or popping jujubes. Is that is it disrespectful during a war film? No, but it is disrespectful during a quiet film. Oh. Like this movie often had quiet moments and I was distracted by someone uh, near me being loud okay fair all right what are you on question number four is that where we're at yes okay uh question number four let's forget about adam driver for a second (laughs) if we can (laughs) if we can benedict cumberbatch is pretty weird looking right (laughs) yeah okay all right some people also find him handsome all right (laughs) and i'm not sure what they have to do with each other but sure Okay. okay all right I don't write the questions. Oh, okay. <laughs> we just expect answers. Uh, question number five, Ellen. Do war movies instantly get a free pass as far as nominations go? Like, do you think that just by it being a war movie, it like already gets uh, a head start as far as critical mass, critical recognition, and uh, just kudos and, and, and awards? I'd say yes, because I've seen, like, I didn't think Hacksaw Ridge was good at all, but because mm. it was a war movie, it got nominees, nominations, so. Sure. Probably, yeah. Okay. All right, and that's five questions. Nice job, Ellen. Thanks for joining yeah. us again, Ellen. Hmm. Thank you for having me. Final thoughts. Like, I, this one's tough for me to be able to tell what, uh, what Oscar likelihood it's got. Like, I would say... Sound is probably right up there, right? Like, war movies always get the sound mixing and sound editing. Well, I think Roger Deakins has it in the bag. Okay. I I think that's... If anyone else were to win cinematography, I'd be shocked. Okay. And I feel like this is a total safe choice for best picture and best director. Yeah. And I also think it's... Oh, and it's getting a lot of traction. I think it... Yeah, as of right now, from what I've seen on, like, different... Um, 
different publications and stuff, different people on Twitter are pretty much putting it out as it's the front runner right now. It is the safest choice for yeah, sure, but absolutely. it's also very good. All right. But I will say, and I know that I called it, but Parasite is also getting a ton of traction, especially coming off of its SAG award for right. best ensemble. Yeah, right. If it wins Best Picture, that's the ultimate I told you so. So. Oh, yeah. You, Here's you would have called it here first. <laughs> totally. All right. <laughs> Danny, what do we have coming up next? Coming up next, we've got one of the Academy Award winners uh, from the great uh, Best Picture Choosing Machine. This one is The Lost Weekend, starring Academy Award winner Ray Milland, <laughs> who also starred in the, the film we reviewed back in episode 35, the thing with two heads. All right. I can't wait. This is one I've been waiting for for a while. About 240 episodes. <laughs> Thanks for listening to the Spoiler Alert podcast. Please visit us online at movieoutsiders.com, where you can see what films we'll be discussing next, comment on our recent episodes, suggest movies to review or topics to discuss, or submit questions for the five questions segment of the podcast. Stop by and visit our Facebook page at facebook.com forward slash movieoutsiders, and be sure to follow us on Twitter at movieoutsiders. If you're a fan of the show, we'd really appreciate you leaving a review on iTunes, Overcast, Stitcher, or whatever podcast subscription service you use. We'll be back again next week with another episode, but until then, enjoy the movies.